you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today we are reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I did not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, if you haven't met me before, my name is Koi, uh, the Associate Pastor here at City on a Hill, Melbourne West. And I was reading through today's passage and I was reminded of a time way back in year seven, uh, where a friend and I just started getting into a bit of uh, hip hop music. And we came across a song called Only God Can Judge Me by Tupac. And uh, first of all, probably shouldn't have been listening to it in year seven. Uh, It was a different time then. And second of all, wow, did it change our lives, our primary school life during that time. The premise of the song was basically, even if your actions aren't favorable to some, keep doing what you do because only God can judge you. Uh, In the schoolyard at recess, cheat in a game of handball, only God can judge me. You know, dob on your friend for opening their eyes in the school prayer time, only God can judge me. Yeah, the teacher sends me to detention. Teacher, only God can judge me, mate. Yeah, it was an anthem, a way of living, a way that people still live to today. It's like their slogan, uh, even in tw- at 2020. You know, on Sunday, we heard a great message from uh, Dave Myers. And as he went into 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and brought out th- the three ways the gospel shapes leadership in God's church, uh, one, and one of the key points to consider was that of leaders being faithful servants, stewards of the mysteries of God. And that's something I want to talk more about today. Um, as Paul starts off chapter four, he talks about the church leader's role in regards to faithfulness. Uh, yet as we get to verse three, he somehow links that faithfulness to judgments, the judgment of fellow people, the judgment of self and judgment of God. And it's interesting because looking at verse 3 and 4, you could almost read it as Paul being a bit defensive, couldn't you? Like like he's saying, it doesn't mean much to me that you people see me like this or or like that. Actually, I don't even care what I think about myself. Only God can judge me. Maybe that's how verse 3 and 4 would be translated in the King Tupac version. We don't know. But while the Apostle Paul was quite the the fiery, the passionate and hard-nosed bloke, I don't think he was writing this to the Corinthians with a, who are you to be judging me? Do you know who I am? Kind of vibe, kind of thing. But as as he brings up judgments, what he says first, what he says right before it actually, right at the beginning of chapter 4, I think is important in revealing the intentions of his comments on judgment itself. So let's read verse 1 together. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. See, as Paul starts off saying this is how one should regard us 
He's talking to the church in Corinth and how they should regard their church leaders. Over the past few weeks, we've heard about uh, the issue the church in Corinth had um, in how they perceived their church leaders, following some in such diehard ways that it brought division among each other. Um, that put particular church leaders on such high pedestals, such as Paul, um, as far as to say that Paul had to go, was Paul crucified for you in chapter one? Paul was addressing a church that was divided in biased groups, each boasting in their own identity of being in that group. You know, think of the Richmond Tiger fans, right? But worse, if that's possible. Uh, But what Paul says is really profound because he counters their misplaced devotion by telling the church in Corinth that actually these leaders you adore so much, they are servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. And why I say it's profound is because in our English language, it might not capture it, but the word servant and stewards are beautifully used. By using the word servant uh, in its original Greek language, um, Paul would have the Corinthians picture uh, to what we'd call an under rower. So basically a rower on the bottom floors of these ancient ships. And this servant word was usually associated with the person on the bottom pulling the great paddles, pulling these oars. You know, these these servants were so important to the ship, absolutely. Yet they were the ones who would receive orders or directions. They were the assistants. Yet somebody was over them. The captain, the master was over them. One author says uh, the servant terminology underlines the fact that ministers, leaders uh, work under the orders of their master and have no significance except in relation to their master. See, these underrollers were significant in the ship moving, but without the master, they were useless, a ship that goes nowhere. Uh, Paul then paints them another picture to affirm his point, this time calling church leaders stewards. Now, the picture of a steward was one who was in charge of a whole house, uh, an estate or an administration that managed the staff, that make arrangements, issued the supplies and rations for the place, run the joint, basically. Yet, however much control they had, the control they had over the households or of the slaves, the steward was still a slave themselves. They had a master. Uh, they, they are not the owners. The master is. The treasures are entrusted to them to administer and to take hold of what they'd been entrusted with. Uh, But they're aware that they depend on their master. So Paul is telling the church in Corinth, you folks adore your church leaders as so much, but remember that they are not the master. You know, William Barclay, uh, a writer says, whatever be a leader's position in the church and whatever power they may yield there or whatever prestige they may enjoy, they still remain the servant of Christ. Slaves, stewards, no significance except in relation to the master. So church, why do you regard Paul, Apollos, Cephas as the masters when they are the underrower, vital to the ship, the ministry of the church, but nothing without their master? The master who has entrusted them with the mysteries of God. You know, as what Dave said on Sunday, these mysteries, that is, that is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Your leaders you adore have been entrusted with this gospel treasure, but the treasure is not theirs. It's it's their owners, the master who gives it. They are in secondary positions before Christ and the church. And so knowing that, how does the conversation then become about the judgment of leaders? 
Now, I love my, my, my sport. I love my basketball. Uh, I love watching and following uh, the NBA. And so on Instagram, I follow NBA accounts, uh, players' accounts, and all sorts of different websites and reporters and whatnot that just talk about NBA, basically. And what NBA fans love doing is debating the title of who is the greatest. Uh, you can go in a comment section of an NBA account or a player's account, and I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, you'll be, it will be filled with arguments of who is the best basketballer ever. And I knew I needed to get off Instagram when I simply looked at interior design posts. I was just looking at ways to decorate the house and then on Instagram, and then I just went to the comment section, and it would just say, Michael Jordan is greater than LeBum James. You know, that's when I was like, okay, I need off. The debate is like a virus, basically. You can't get away from it. Our world loves ranking, loves comparing, loves assessing people against others. And this is essentially what the Corinthians were doing. They were in their factions, you know, in their little parties, their camps of who they think is the best leader, comparing their Christian leaders with the other. Uh, like Apollos is the goat, you know, the greatest of all time. His pastoral care is the best I've ever seen. Yeah, the Apostle Paul is, the, is a great speaker and all, but did he score 81 points against the Toronto Raptors? I don't think so. You know, by aligning into their preferred camps or, or of Christian leaders and comparing them with others, the church in Corinth were passing judgment on these leaders, assessing them on, on the criteria of their, their wisdom, their ability, their eloquence, their presence. This guy can do this. This guy can do that. This guy is bad at this. Oh, but this guy is, is even worse at that. So we see why Paul brings up this topic of leader judgment. He tells them, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you uh, compared to others in what I do well and what I do poorly. Paul's not coming from a place of arrogance, I don't think, even if it looks that way. But we consider what he said before this, what we just talked about. What he says about receiving judgment from other people is consistent with the reminder of who Christian leaders actually are servants. Our servants too, our stewards too. They're responsible to the owner. It's the master's judgment of a servant that should, that should be the most concerning to them. It's like a, you think of a McDonald's employee. If you tell, like, if you buy a cheeseburger and you tell them, "Mate, this is the this is the worst this is the worst cheeseburger that I've ever had," what, what are they going to do? They're just going to they're going to well, they might change it, but they'll they'll probably give you a new one, but they'll likely won't care to be honest. But if, you're, if you were the manager and you go up to the, uh, the, the person serving your cheeseburger and you go, this is a horrendous cheeseburger, the reality is the owner's opinion really counts. It will matter to them, the master's assessment. They'll probably care about how they made it. Why? Because the servant is held accountable to their master. The church member, the blogger, the YouTube comments can assess and judge all they want. But a servant of Christ has an audience of one. Not in the sense like we're working for God as though performing for him, seeking his approval, like that kind of audience of one. But rather our faithfulness is only truly accountable to the God who knows us inside out. Now, there's a few things to think about here. Uh, for the Christian leader, uh, this can bring up a wide, wide range of emotions. Uh, the first one, uh, the first thing that I you know most would feel is a sense of nervousness, uh, to be honest. Uh, I know I got that when reflecting on this. Uh, there's a weightiness to Christian leadership. Because as Paul spoke about uh, 
what Paul spoke about in verse 1, the leader knows who their master is, who they are accountable to, to God, the almighty, true and just God. And, and Paul affirms this weightiness um, as we keep reading. Uh, we know that God is not finite. He He's not held to the limitations of humans. Like I had a friend, um, this made me think of a friend who handed out their wedding inv invitation, you know, through Facebook. And unfortunately, they sent out an invite to a person who they had, they barely knew, um, but simply because they shared the exact same name uh, with a friend they actually wanted to invite. So they sent it out to the wrong person, basically. And once it was out, you know, a wedding invite, you can't revoke the invite, you know, it's out. Uh, and the acquaintance uh, that was invited messaged my friend back saying they were so amazed that they'd been invited like they felt so honored they're like i can't believe you invited me i'm so i'm so thankful it's a real honor to be able to go to your wedding and of course my friend was like oh yeah 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 no worries <laughs> even though they didn't even really uh, invite them uh, but that acquaintance will never know what they see as this good deed was actually tainted in that sense well unless they watch this sermon then they'll probably find out now hopefully they i didn't drop the name but as humans, we know we are so, so limited. We're easy to judge the external, but never the internal, right? Seeing only the deed, but never really knowing the intention. Think about the church in Corinth and, and what they were judging and comparing their church leaders with. Things like eloquent, eloquent wisdom, uh, beautiful speech, ministry deeds, maybe church numbers. A lot of these things were external, but no matter what they saw or heard from Paul, from Apollos, from Cephas, from Tim Keller, from Guy Mason, from Luke Nelson, from Koi Fung, no person could ever assess the whole of another person, right? What's going on inside. Yet people try. You know, as one writer says, he says, Here we have to do with man's feeble attempt to imitate God's judgment and to behave as if he himself were judge. But a servant of God knows it's not man's judgment that awaits, but God's judgment. We see that what Paul writes in verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. He will bring to light the things hidden in darkness, seeing more than the deeds of the Christian leader, but the intentions of the heart the motives, the purposes of the heart. The Christian leader is accountable only to the master, the Lord. And so Paul isn't phased with this ESPN top 50 leaders rumblings that are going on with the church in Corinth. But at the same time, what's important to bring up is that uh, we can easily see the drawbacks from reading uh, this verse incorrectly. You know, we've seen on the news or maybe experienced it ourselves. Uh, church leaders who abuse this, uh, leaders who take a thick-skinned indifference to public opinion, uh, church leaders who disregard the wisdom of their church when there's something glaring in their life, um, leaders who don't care for the counsel or faithful opinion of their congregation, no respect for any type of assessment given to them, pastors and deacons who maybe assert innocence when somebody can see guilt and foolishness, a real only God can judge me, um, chip on their shoulder, which, which stems from a pride, an arrogance, uh, maybe even a bitterness. Um, uh, how does Paul counter this view of leadership? Now, let's look back at verse 2. It says, 
Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. See, as stewards of the mysteries of God, as servants to Christ, the Christian leader's chief duty is faithfulness. While Paul is telling the church in Corinth that, yes, Christian leaders are accountable to God, that it's God's judgment that is final, he also emphasizes the requirements of stewards, that is to be faithful to their Lord, a faithfulness to Christ. Uh, and Christ, through his word, has, has told church leaders many things. Let's look at a passage here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Or another passage, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one, one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Or another one, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So you think, are the leaders caring for your church if you count your flock as stupid and without opinion? As a leader, are you above reproach and respectable if you treat others without respect? Or leaders, are you rightfully handling the word of truth, uh, the truth of the word as one who leads faithfully? See, Paul's not telling leaders to disregard any sort of judgment from fellow men and women that comes. Remember, Paul is speaking to a context of a church who was so deeply caught in the judging of church leaders that they were either worshipping their leaders, basically, or condemning them. But stewards of Christ must heed to the master, to their master in faithfulness, a trust and obedience in Jesus who can see not just their deeds, but purposes of the heart. So if a church leader was living in a manner, was living in a manner where arrogance, where pride or bitterness was at the core of their you can you can't judge me, only God can judge me aura, the master sees, the Lord knows. And it wouldn't be living in faithfulness to him. See, faithfulness to the Lord would be leading in humility, leading sacrificially. Faithfulness to the Lord to the Lord is not let not to let the opinions and evaluations from this world outweigh the thoughts of the master, Jesus. See, when you're praised for your worship leading or city kids serving, servanthood, is the glory yours or the one commanding the ship? When you're criticized for your preaching style or differing theology, will that sway you to conform to the winds of public opinion? These things take a lot of wisdom uh, of the word. And that's what Paul talked about just previously uh, in the chapter before this. So th thinking through the five verses, we have to ask, we have to weigh it up. Am I being faithful? Have I trusted in the judgment of others in assessing my faith? Or have I put myself above others that nobody's opinion means jack because it's not their place? Or... Do I hear what Paul is saying? Do I come to the master in humility and faith that I am a servant, a steward, called to be faithful to Christ, the one who knows me more than I know myself and the one who will have the final word? That is what's put in front of the church. So to the leaders or those thinking about leadership, Continue 
to be faithful, guided by the master, Jesus. You know, he's the audience that matters. One that sees not just our deeds, but the purposes of our heart. You know, lead not to please people or ourselves, but to please him. Live according to his word and spirit. You know, to the church in a society built on comparing and assessing others, trust that the Lord Jesus is the one who has the final word and he is just and he is kind. Instead of making judgments now, uh, whether positive or negative, wait till Jesus comes. In the, me in the meantime, encourage our leaders. Lift them up, not for their glory, but the glory of our Lord. Thank you for your worship leading today. God has given you uh, such an amazing gift uh, in such an amazing way. He's so awesome. Pray for our leaders. You know, this person, this leader did something that probably wasn't so wise today. Lord, help them. Give them wisdom as your spirit reveals areas of weakness in their life. We can do that as a church. See, the Apostle Paul was a great man, uh, used in amazing ways uh, by God. And yet we know he is still like us, human, sinful. And yet at the end of chapter 4, he gives us a great example of his faithfulness. Look at verse 14 to 17. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, it's a bit weird to imagine a pastor in 2020 telling his congregation, be imitators of me. <laughs> um, yet as Paul tells the church in Corinth that he's not here to shame them, but to encourage them. And as he says, be imitators of him. Paul's saying, imitate him to the extent that he lives to imitate Christ. Paul is a faithful man and he's called to imitate, and he's called to imitate him isn't a call to, to worship him, but a call to imitate who he has conformed himself to, the image of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was who Paul lived in service to. We see that clearly in the letter to the Corinthians and all throughout. The Bible. It is the mystery that is the life, death, resurrection, uh, and glory of Jesus that Paul was given to steward. For Paul, it was all about Jesus. Paul lived in faithfulness. He lived in obedience and trust to Jesus. His only concern was how Jesus saw him. And you know how Jesus saw him? Jesus saw Paul as somebody who needed saving, just like you and I. As it says in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, our deepest concern should be how Jesus sees us. It's he who will one day judge what we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. Our worship should only be of Jesus. It's he who saves and he who changes lives into those shaped by the cross not just in Corinth, but today. As we look to our leaders, we look to faithful, godly men and women all around us whose lives have been clearly shaped by the gospel. We can imitate and walk with them and copy their ways, not comparing and assessing them, 
but faithfully loving, encouraging and praying for our leaders as they put the teachings of Christ into practice and walk in his ways. As it says at the end of verse 5, we can trust in a faithful God who will commend his servants, his stewards, his believers at the end. May we lead, serve and live humbly and faithfully to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so almighty and you're so wonderful, Lord. We thank you that you've sent your son Jesus uh, as not just an example, but our saviour who saved us. And it ultimately is your final word is one day we'll be standing in front of your presence, Lord, as you go through our life and you see that we are followers of you, that it is by your blood that was shed and by our faith put in you uh, that we may be deemed right in front of your eyes but not because of our doing, but because of yours. But in the meantime, as we're here, as we're living here, waiting for eternity, Lord, we ask, may your spirit help us um, in all the times that we feel tempted to want to compare and assess our leaders, our wonderful leaders who guide us in our church. Lord, please protect us from the temptations to do that. Let us be reminded, Lord, that um, it is you who is the final judge. You are the one that sees not just the deeds of people, but the purposes of the heart. And that's not just to the leaders, but that's to us. So may that challenge us, may that convict us, but may that also give us a joy to know that, Lord, uh, only God can judge us, uh, Lord. And that's a joy because our God is just, but he is also merciful and he is gracious, as we've seen in you sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. So we thank you, Heavenly Father, and we pray all of this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.